as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I am Andy Wilson, also Big Shiny Robot And we've actually got a buttload of movies for you this week A lot of stuff came out and everything's kind of vying for supremacy as we're Hitting kind of the beginning towards the middle of summer, uh, we have The Legend of Tarzan, The BFG, The Big Friendly Giant, uh, The Purge, Donald Trump, I mean, uh, The Purge, Election Year, and uh, the Farting Corpse movie, Swiss Army Man with Daniel Radcliffe. And we always try to kind of go worst to first, so I think we're going to have to unfortunately start with uh, Legend of Tarzan. Hey Andy, question for you. Yeah. So you're familiar with Tarzan, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, I've I've seen the Disney movie. Uh, yeah. So, how much of his story do you think was left untold? Um, I, I think we get most of it. Me, Tarzan, you, Jane. He was <laughs> raised by the apes, and he swings through the jungle, right? Like exactly, I, right? <laughs> so yeah, he, he swings through the trees. Blah blah blah. Um, so. This movie I actually went into completely blind. I didn't even know Samuel L. Jackson was in it until he popped up on screen. I was like, oh, hi, how are you? Uh, so that was kind of cool because that's very rare that you go into a movie knowing that little about it. Uh, but The Legend of Tarzan actually is the sequel to the, the story we know and love. This is when Tarzan has moved back to uh, back to London. Uh, John Clayton, he's now a lord, and he's played by Alexander Skarsgård, who looks good with a shirt off, and that's about it. Uh, he ma- married Jane Porter, who's played here by the lovely uh, Margot Robbie, who we we are looking forward to seeing in the Suicide Squad movie. Uh, and basically, there's, they're talking about how everyone kind of invaded Africa, and the Congo was left to the king of Belgium. And he knows there's a bunch of diamonds down there, and he's trying to kind of take over the country. He sends his right-hand man, Leon Rom, who's played by Christoph Waltz, who is pretty much just playing the same character from Inglorious Bastards, just uh, not a Nazi. Uh, to go there, find the diamonds, and take over the country. Meanwhile, while this is happening, the King of Belgium also is asking Tarzan, John Clayton, to go back to Africa because he knows that he knows the lay of the land and maybe he can help him out. And Tarzan's like, nah, screw you, I'm not doing that. We'll enter George Washington Williams, who's played by Samuel L. Jackson, who uh, just got done with the American Civil War, and pulls Tarzan aside and says, hey, listen, uh, the reason why we need to go down there and I want you to come with me is I really think that the king of Belgium is uh, taking all the black people there and making them slaves. So people in the Congo and turning them into his own private slaves to build a railroad, to bring in an army, and all these horrible things. So Tarzan and Jane and George Washington go down there. Of course, immediately Jane gets kidnapped by Christoph Waltz and Tarzan has to go rescue her and blah, blah, blah. And then interspersed between all of this is... Uh, flashbacks showing Tarzan as a kid, how he his parents died, how he was raised by the ape. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot going on. Um, unfortunately, this is one of the most boring movies I've ever seen. I mean, I literally, halfway through the movie, had to run outside to the lobby to buy a drink and come back inside because I had to have something to keep me awake. Uh, much like uh, King Kong, which the Peter Jackson remake, you can come into this movie, and same thing with Batman v Superman, you can come into this movie about an hour in, and you won't miss anything. That can't be summed up within five minutes of watching what's going on screen. Everything is just wasted here. I mean, Samuel Jackson, he, he kind of knows he's in a bad movie. He's kind of having some fun with it. But that's one of the only bright point. I mean, Margot Robbie, she's a lot of fun. Uh, we're, again, like I mentioned before, we're excited to see her as a badass in Suicide Squad. 
And she's giving nothing to do here. I mean, she was, the story was she was raised in the jungle as well by her parents, not by apes. Um, and is this complete badass and knows the jungles. But she's damsel the entire way. I mean, she solely exists to be rescued by Tarzan. And, I mean, there's one scene where they actually let her do something fun and escape, but then she gets caught a minute later and it's all over and done with. So, she's a waste. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, I'm sorry, dude, you can't act. That's it. Uh, you had, you was, you could have replaced him with a board of plywood and you would have had the same exact uh, reaction and the same exact acting job. And, yeah, I don't know, just everything kind of falls apart. The CGI is really, really cool in some moments when we're focused on, like, the gorillas and some of the animals. And later on when there's a whole uh, stampede of, like, wildebeests, it looks like something you would have found on a PlayStation 1. I mean, it's just horrible. And I really don't think the movie knows what it's going for as far as the audience, because this could be kind of a fun kids movie uh, with Tarzan and the apes. But then they let Samuel Jackson kind of throw in some one-liners that are really inappropriate, and they kind of skew it more towards the adult side of the audience. But then any rational adult who's there is going to be bored as hell. So I, I don't know. This it was a complete mess. There's not much here. It's not the worst thing we've seen out there, but it's definitely below mediocre. So I, I'm at a four out of ten, and that's kind of being generous. Yeah, I mean, I've I've said this before. I'll say it again. There's no excuse for boring. Uh, that that's too bad. And it also seems like a, a real case of not knowing what the source material is really all about. And it's like Tarzan is an interesting story because it's about a man who was raised by apes and living in the jungle and learning about his humanity. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't know why we needed, I don't know why we needed this story. That's so weird. Um, I mean, if it would have been at least like the tale of, I mean, the tale of Tarzan just growing up in, as a kid and, the whole flashback thing, that could have been somewhat interesting, but, you know, it's the flashbacks are unnecessary. We know the story. It's not as if it's adding anything to what's actually happened. There's one scene that actually adds on to what's going on in the main plot. Um, yeah, I don't know. It just, as we said before, it's, you know, because no one demanded it, here it is. Uh, yeah, it's it was just kind of a waste. So don't don't go waste two plus hours of your life. Go, go see something else. <laughs> wow. Well, speaking of because no one really demanded it and taking two hours of your life. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, this <laughs> film is much better. Uh, the Purge Election Year, uh, which the is Trump, the... The Donald Trump presidency. <laughs> the Donald Trump movie. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back to that. Um, this is the third Purge movie. Adam, have you have you seen the other two? or You know, I have, and I, I've not been a fan. Here, here's my problem. I've not been a fan of those movies. However, I love the idea of this world they've created, and I've been waiting for them to actually deliver a movie that will fulfill on the promises they've been making. Exactly. So I don't know if this one did it or not, because again, then work sucks. Uh, but I, I was excited for this one because it sounds like it's kind of coming full circle and you know, getting out there. Yeah, the first one, I mean, it, it felt like it was a Last House on the Left ripoff that had a lot of political commentary up its sleeve, and it's like, hey, focus on that. That's really... That's really cool. The second one was like, oh, well, now we're out on the street during the purge and Frank Grillo's out for revenge and uh, we're going to follow him. Again, like some cool ideas executed well, but it felt like uh, the film was more an exercise in its own sort of 
movie making bloodletting like let's let's just be violent for violence sake and throw a lot of cool stuff out there as a way of uh, doing our own sort of emotional purge or whatever this film with election year elevates that and i think gets back to what the filmmaker really has always kind of wanted to say with this and and he finally found the right venue to do it um that's James DeMonico, who wrote and directed uh, all three of these. And uh, I, I think here he actually found something that works. Um, Frank Grillo returns here. Uh, now he's gone from an L.A. cop uh, who was out for revenge in a purge. Now he is the head of security for uh, Senator Charlie Rowan, played by Elizabeth Mitchell, who we might remember as Juliet from Lost. And she is running for president. Uh, she's just barely behind in the polls, but uh, everyone is really scared she'll win. And her platform is, we're going to get rid of the purge. Uh, her family was a victim of the purge several years, uh, many years before when she was a child. And so she's always said, this needs to be gotten rid of. Uh, Frank Grillo is really for it because he's like, hey, I have a history with this and uh, I almost lost myself in my own humanity in my own personal struggles with the purge. And of course, the powers that be don't want any of this. Uh, they get, yeah, <laughs> they gain they gain a lot of power uh, from from having the purge. They make a lot of money. And uh, the one through line here is um, Dante Bishop who has shown up in, in both of the other two movies. Now he's kind of this like outsider radical who has his own uh, group who's opposing the purge and, um, but, but doing it through non-political means uh, through, through various forms of violent and nonviolent resistance. So they find themselves on purge night and uh, because the new founding fathers regime is so scared they say, okay, for the first time ever, we're going to take the cap off the purge and say that anyone who's an elected official is no longer protected. Uh, so anyone can be killed this year. Uh, and, of course, they're going to use that to go after Senator Rowan. Uh, so she finds herself betrayed and out on the streets in, in Washington, D.C., trying to survive the night. And uh, they're caught between... The Purgers, uh, a a neo-Nazi paramilitary group who have been hired to assassinate her, uh, and uh, and of course the New Founding Fathers who who want her for their own reasons, and then uh, Dante Bishop and his people who are also out on the streets uh, trying to fight back here. Uh, there's there's actually some very interesting plot twists and in, in what's going on here. Nothing that's super heady. Um, and it's interspersed with scenes of ridiculous violence and, you know, people getting, uh, people bringing out the guillotine and uh, going after rich people. And it's, uh, you know, it, it gets interesting. Um, there's also some uh, street level folks who are just. They're just fighting for uh, their own survival, and uh, a a deli owner by the name of Joe uh, had his purge insurance rescinded the night before the purge, so he has to protect his deli from purgers who want to break in and, and break it down. 
and they find themselves out on the street helping uh, the senator survive the night. Um, it it gets interesting. There's a lot to say here, and if if you want to both glorify in some crazy violence and also get like a good 90 minute political ad on why we should never elect Donald Trump. <laughs> this is this is your movie. Uh it if you've liked the other two purge movies, I think this is a far better version of that. And um if if you haven't, you don't need to have seen any of any of the other ones. You can just drop into this one and it's its own self-contained story and you should be able to enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, there is some heavy-handed political commentary in here, but it also feels like this is very 2016 and uh, our uh, our continued discussion about the the 1%, the haves and the have-nots and the and the increasing inequality in our country and what the government's doing about that. So, uh it, at least we can say that no one is saying that what we should do is go out and kill all the poor people uh, <laughs> once a year. Um, but we're well, on our not you and me at least. Yeah, well, yeah, not you and me. Um, not many people, and at least not openly. Yeah, <laughs> that, that was what I was saying was yeah. There's, I'm very, very certain there's a lot of people up there who would have no problem with that, but they're not going to come out and say it. Yeah, yeah. So this because is pretty. Because for some reason, those people will continue to vote for them for God knows why. <laughs> well, there's a lot of people who are voting for strange people and things this this time around. Anyway, uh, in in terms of this being a good movie, I, I'm giving this a six and a half. It's pretty good. It's it's enjoyable. It's decent, um, but it is nowhere near as impressive as uh, the other two films we're going to talk about. Cool. So yeah. Again, it's, it's I'm I'm really excited to see this one. I'm hoping I will have some free time to actually go do so. <laughs> uh, but again, I, I loved the the world they set up. I'm just still waiting for for something that really grabs me and pulls me into that world. Because the first one for me, it just kind of felt like a like, yeah. Of course, there was more political leanings in it, but it felt like The Strangers. Which yeah. I, first of all, didn't like because Strangers was a ripoff of a very very excellent foreign film called Them. Uh, which, if you haven't ever seen it, it's uh, yeah, it's I think it's filmed in Romania, but it's the movie The Strangers ripped off, which in turn The Purge kind of took stuff from. Um, so, but yeah, that was okay. And then the second one just didn't. It was again, it wasn't. Eh, it was it was not special. So, but it was kind of like an action movie with with this. Uh, oh yeah, no, no, it was it was a fun action movie, but again, it's there's I'm a I'm a huge political nut. I know you are as well. Yeah. I love when those things get tied in deeply, and you can. Like we said, it's, you can point to 2016 and be like, oh, I see where this is going on now. Yeah, so. and and the best kind of art will understand its own its own zeitgeist, where it fits in in that specific time and place, and it feels like James DeMonico really nailed that. And which is great, because he, he feels sort of prophetic, like putting out a movie on the 4th of July in 2016, not knowing... Uh, a year, year and a half ago, when they were in production on this, that Donald Trump would be the the Republican nominee. So, Basically you know, the Republican Party, you go team. Yeah. So thanks. Uh, let's talk about something that's that is on the completely opposite end of the spectrum in terms of family friendliness, <laughs> and that that is the BFG. No, 
not the big effing gun from Doom. And my first thought, I was like, oh, it's the big effing giant. <laughs> yeah. No, not the big effing giant. The big friendly giant, um, which is is just delightful. Uh, this is based off the children's book by Roald Dahl, who also did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, James and the Giant Peach, Matilda, the Witches, and, and dozens of other things. And he was uh, a very, very naughty man. Yeah, he was a very, a very naughty and very interesting man. Um, uh, go, go look up on the internet, folks, what snozberries are and what and the the whole idea that the snozberries taste like snozberries. A very inappropriate joke. Um, yes. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> Roald Dahl. It, it, I mean, I love him because he's he's a lot like Lewis Carroll, very good with the wordplay, and that really shines in this movie. Uh, the the big friendly giant who here is played by Oscar winner Mark Rylance, who won the Oscar last year for Bridge of Spies and was absolutely amazing in that. Um, the BFG talks very strangely he gets all of his words mixed up and he he says things a little bit funny um and of course there's uh, there's some magic and and some fun in this world for instance um he makes his own uh his own drink uh some sort of a so soda or light alcoholic beverage where the bubbles instead of floating up they go downwards so of course when you drink it instead of it he's like oh well you wouldn't want to do that because it would create all sorts of nasty burps and you're like oh so the bubbles go down the other end <laughs> yep. there there are some very well very beautifully crafted fart jokes in this movie <laughs> and uh very delightful because um they're they're very childish and and very fun um but but very innocent and the the so the bfg um is uh what he does as his job is he collects dreams and then he comes out into the human world and he delivers these dreams to people. Unfortunately, he's spotted by a 10-year-old girl named Sophie. Uh, and because he can't let the existence of giants be known, he takes this, this little human being, as he calls her, and takes her off to the world of the giants. Now, the only problem is in the land of the giants, all of the other giants are actually much bigger and meaner than he is. And they would eat poor little Sophie up if they ever found her. So uh, the the head of the giants is played by Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords, and his name is Flesh Lump Eater. Um, uh, Bill Hader plays another one whose name is Blood Bottler. Uh, the rest of their names, just so you know, Maid Masher, Man Hugger, Butcher Boy, Bone Cruncher, Child Child Chewer. Gizzard gulper and meat dripper. <laughs> so you sound like a snozberry. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Again, this is very raw doll and and just and just beautiful. And the uh, the other part of this that that is so important is the magic of Steven Spielberg. And Spielberg, better than most other people out there, knows how to put together a movie and a narrative in terms of pacing 
and plot and character and balance them all incredibly well. He just does amazingly here. And in in the same way that he's able to make uh, a puppet in the form of E.T. come alive and be, mm-hmm. you know, just grab at your heartstrings, uh, you believe that all of these digital characters are real. They because they are very real. The um, there's this concept of the uncanny valley. Have you ever heard of that, Adam? Um, it sounds familiar. I can't. Okay, so the explain it. the uncanny valley is this idea that things that look like human beings but aren't quite are very unnerving. And so you remember the Polar Express and yes. how kind of creepy that was because everyone looked very human like, but they weren't quite human Mm -hmm. it's very disconcerting we've gone past the other end of that uncanny valley now to where these digital creations look real i mean the big friendly giant looks better than mark rylance in makeup It, it it's totally cg it's beautiful it it's but he's real. He's really, really real. And it's just a amazing feat of, of digital technology. And uh, I, the, uh, the character designs, the set designs in this movie are just to the nines. Now, uh, I'm, I'm heaping a lot of high praise on here. And here's the problem. We, we talked a couple weeks ago with Finding Dory about the Pixar scale and how we expect more from, from great directors and great film studios. This movie just isn't quite there. I mean, I mentioned ET it, it's not that it it's missing just a little bit of something. And while this film is very atmospheric, um, the, the plot is kind of thin. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really get going until more than halfway through the movie. Uh, and you're just kind of exploring this world. Uh, in, in that sense, um, I'll compare this to another Roald Dahl movie, uh, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory. The first half of that movie is actually pretty boring until they actually go into the chocolate factory. And then all people in bed singing. Yeah. (laughs) and, And it gets, it's, pretty boring before then so um it, it this this suffers from a lot of the same problems and i so i i just can't give it the very highest marks but it's very good and kids will love it i mean my my kids are pretty finicky when it comes to movie and and my eight-year-old son walked out of this and he's like nine out of ten that was awesome. <laughs> he loved it. And he's been talking about the BFG ever since and how uh, how he can't make his words come out right the same way that the BFG does. And I'm like, that's that's great that, you know, kids will latch on to this as an adult. Uh, you probably won't find as much to enjoy in this movie as a kid will. But for a kid, it's just absolutely amazing and and so you should feel good about taking your kids to this um but what i expect from steven spielberg is just slightly more uh and he doesn't quite deliver in that sense so So, 
Oh. I'm at a seven and a half out of ten, which this nice. is not a bad movie. This is a very good movie, uh, and I will heap all the praise on it uh, that I can. Um, but I I expect a little more from you, Senor Spielbergo. <laughs> so I guess my question would be because I've I've read pretty much everything Roald Dahl's written. I, I for some reason somehow I missed the BFG. I don't know how. Um, but you mentioned that you know not much happens in the first hour, and the same thing happens with Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. You know, is do you think that's more the filmmaker's fault or the source material? Because if I remember correctly, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the same way. It doesn't really get going until a third of the way through the book when you actually yep. get to the the Chocolate Factory. Yeah, it's it is that is definitely true, and I think that is a problem of the difference between a book and a movie. Is you need all of that time for world building in a book. Uh, you think about. Um, the first Harry Potter book. And I mean, they spend the first third of that movie before they even get to Hogwarts really. And, uh, you really have to unpeel that onion in a lot of different layers. Um, well, it was also Chris Columbus, who's a horrible director. So, well, yeah, but uh, but but that's both. But that's in both the book and the movie. You have to do a certain amount of world building, which is one reason why sequels are so popular. You don't have to worry about any of that. You have your characters; they're established; they're in the world, and you just go and you can tell your story. But um, so, I do think that that's uh, that's a problem. Now, that being said, I don't really remember the source material for the BFG that well. Um, I remember reading it and I remember the basics of the story, but I don't, uh, I loved um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, Mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, those were my favorites. Um, James and the Giant Peach is another one. And uh, that's a, that's a great movie, but that, that also takes off very quickly. Um, you know, they only spend the first 15 minutes of that movie in the real world before it turns into the uh, stop motion animation. Um, so, you know, they're, I think they're able to, uh, to get there much quicker. Yeah. And I think one thing people need to, I think also the, the problem we're seeing here with movies that are taking longer to get going than the books is because they realize that these, these books have such huge fan bases who are so devoted uh, that they're always going to sit there and complain that, oh, this wasn't in the movie, this wasn't in the movie, because you really can't do that. You'd have to have a 15-part movie to fully have every single little piece of the book in the film. So maybe it's just people, it's directors and writers, being afraid to alienate certain fans because they're not going to include X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I, I hope not. I mean, I think that you're you're much... It's much more forgiving when you're adapting a children's book that's only maybe a hundred or so pages long um, that doesn't have a, a huge rabid fan base. I, I mean, with Harry Potter, you really had to be careful, but I don't know that many people for whom like the BFG was like, oh, that's my book. So um, I, I and I can't even speak to whether they they really were super accurate to that source material or not. I, it seems to me from my memory of 30 years ago of having read that book that it was, but, um, but I don't quite remember. Hmm. Cool. So, well, no, again, it's one I'll, I'll definitely check out and sounds like it was something that's fun for all ages. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, it is unfortunately getting 
just absolutely killed by uh, its its studio uh, sister Finding Dory, which is not surprising. And I'm actually incredibly surprised that that Disney would put two of its movies so close to one another, knowing that Finding Dory was going to be a huge smash. It it seems like they probably should have waited three or more weeks to to put this a little bit later in July. Um, yeah, well, it's kind of like the X Men Apocalypse with Civil War. I think you know this this week or like two weeks after Ghostbusters seems like it would have been the ideal time for Apocalypse to be released instead of right after we saw one of the best movies of the year. So. Yeah, I, I finally, uh, my wife finally saw X Men Apocalypse this week. Uh, we we went out and saw that, and um, we spent the entire ride home talking about why she didn't like it. <laughs> so I think that was a. So I'm glad that it wasn't just my opinion. That like, I mean, she she felt very much the same way. I was like, hey, that was good, but here's all these problems. So, <laughs> oh well. Um, so let's talk about the best movie of the week and probably the movie that the fewest people are going to see and that is Swiss Army Man and see this is one that was really divisive at Sundance like we were going to go see it and then it just didn't make it it snowed really bad one day so we couldn't make it up to Park Park City Uh, but this is one that people either they thought was the greatest thing ever or they walked out so uh, I'm glad to hear that it was according you know from what your experience was a, a good movie so yeah I thought it was a good movie but it is going to be an acquired taste. This movie is about a farting corpse. Yay! And, 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 who's and played by Harry Potter. <laughs> who's played by Harry Potter. And it's him and, and Paul Dano, who is... I am just amazed at what Paul Dano can do as an actor. He He's just phenomenal in, in pretty much everything he does. Uh, anyway. Um, and it's basically just the two of them... The entire movie. Uh, Paul Dano plays Hank, and Hank is stranded on a deserted island somewhere in the Pacific. And he's so he's so bored, he's so close to death that he decides to end it all. And so, as he's about to hang himself, he sees a body wash up on the shore. And so he he goes over and checks it out for signs of life. There are none, except the corpse starts letting out copious amounts of flatulence. And he's like, oh, well, he is really dead. That's terrible. And it goes back to going about hanging himself. Um, When the tide washes in... And he sees the body kind of floating around and propelling itself around kind of like a motorboat with its <laughs> flatus. And he's like, <laughs> so he goes and hops on the corpse and rides it like a jet ski back to uh, civilization and freedom and winds up on the beach somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. And then uh, with with the body strapped to his back, takes a trek into the woods uh, to try and find civilization and and try and get back to people, figuring out along the way that the corpse is good for all sorts of other things. Like he can put a grappling hook in its mouth, give it the Heimlich, and it'll shoot the grappling hook really far. And, you know, uh, and of course, with his 
unending amounts of flatus. He can light fires with it and things, <laughs> things like that. Um, and along the way, um, the corpse starts to wake up a little bit um, and he starts talking and he start he names him Manny and Hank and Manny start having discussions about the meaning of life and death and why it is that people hold their farts in and it feels good to fart <laughs> and <laughs> it it it's very weird and um very absurd but beautiful in a way, in the way that, like, um, because Manny, uh, Daniel Radcliffe's character, doesn't remember any of his previous life. And so he keeps asking Hank, uh, it's like, what, what does it mean to love someone? What, do you ever feel lonely? And it's, it's like talking to a very young child. And it's, so the best way I can describe this is it's kind of like you take something absurdist like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead, except one of them is actually dead and is a corpse or or waiting <laughs> or waiting for Godot. And um, it's with the production design of someone like a Spike Jones and written with the uh, with the absurdist juvenile sarcastic commentary of Mike judge. Uh, so it's, it's just very weird. I'm going to give a somewhat, I think this is kind of a spoiler, but I think it will help people understand the movie much better when they mm-hmm. actually see it. Uh, there, you kind of think, oh, well, he's hallucinating all of this, right? Like, this dead body isn't actually doing this, right? This is all a dream. Uh, he's actually there, like, hanging himself out on this island, and this is just, he sees all of this flash before his eyes. No. No, it's all real. It all really happened. It's all really happening that way. Watch it that way from the very beginning. Don't spend your time worrying about like is is this a dream or what's happening yeah there no one is trying to pull the wool over your eyes just watch it and and take it as it's absurdist and it you know by the premise by the bit it's a it's a farting corpse who comes back alive and uh they're they're talking about life and love and death and all of these important weighty issues so really beautiful in a childish and gross kind of way. And um, it, it never it never gets too extreme, though. I mean, obviously, if you had if you actually had a corpse that you were walking around with, bad things would start happening in terms of decomposition or whatever. Well, like you know, Walking Dead status, like with the zombies walking around is like, you know, the first the first episode, they looked fine. Now they're kind of, yeah. you know, torn apart and ravaged and. Yeah. All that fun stuff. No, none of that. It's it it never strays into really really gross territory more than like farts and and poop. Um there, <laughs> you you do get an answer to whether bears poop in the woods. And the answer is yes. What about and, the pope? Uh well, I don't know if the pope poops in the woods. I assume the pope 
is Catholic and poops in the Vatican. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, I think you, do you think he has holy shits? Um, uh, you could ask him. <laughs> um, but, you know, but this is but this is a that's funny because um, one of the things that Hank does is he tries to recreate the book Everybody Poops to teach to teach Manny uh, about poop, and you know, it it's. It is childlike and childish, um, but it's oddly beautiful in that way. So if you can take that and if you can take that much absurdism, you're going to really enjoy this movie. And I I just – I don't think it's the best thing out there. I've seen better original movies, but I just thought that this was a lot of fun. Uh, oh, and I should mention this is directed by the Daniels, um, who are two guys named Daniel who – have mostly done short films and music videos. The number one thing that you would have seen that they've done is they did the turn down for what video. And, uh, Daniel Kwan, one of the Daniels is the main guy in turn down for what. And, um, it, (laughs) he, he is the reason that my son knows what twerking is. Oh God. (laughs) So (laughs) my, my kids like to watch the turn down for what video. Cause that, that is a hilarious video if you've ever seen it. Have have you ever seen that? It's it, I think I've seen the I saw the uh the SNL spoof, but I don't think I've actually seen the real video. It it the video itself plays out kind of like an SNL spoof anyway. So there you go. I mean there's it's it's just very silly and weird. Um but yeah. Uh so yeah, Swiss Army Man, eight out of ten. I liked it. It's not the greatest movie of the year, but if you're looking for something that isn't a blockbuster, then you've got a really good choice right there. Yeah, and the nice thing about that, it looks like it is actually opening pretty wide. Uh, every single theater up here in Utah is playing, and so if you want to go see it, uh, it shouldn't be too difficult to get out there. But like most of these little small indie films, you're not going to see it in theaters for very long. Yeah. So if you want to see it, go see it now before, I'd say, before Ghostbusters come out. You've got a week and a half, and then it's going to be gone. So Yeah, that is, that's good. I mean, but that's that's true of so many movies. I mean, we went to go end up – we ended up going to see X-Men Apocalypse because we couldn't find Captain America Civil War playing anywhere within a 10-mile radius of us. Oh, we really? would have had to go all the way up to North Austin, and my wife is just like – yeah, I don't want to drive 45 minutes to go see this movie. I oh, let's go see X-Men instead. And I'm like, okay. But that's crazy. It's the number 1 movie of the year and it's it's already out of theaters like 2 months later. Yeah, I there's mean, only yeah, there's uh, two up here that are playing, I mean, two that are close that are playing it still. Yeah. For Captain America and then I was going to take my buddy to see Popstar. Uh like literally 2 weeks after it came out and that was gone. I mean, that that yep. went away super fast. Yep. It's it's insane how quickly – like if it's not a major hit, how quickly things cycle out. So uh, the the good news is – and this is true of I think every single one of these movies that we've talked about this week is if they sound intriguing to you, you're not going to miss a whole lot by not seeing it on a giant screen. Um, The BFG was really beautiful to see on a big screen. But I think you'll you'll get much of the same magic at home. So um, if if you miss it, it's okay. You can check it out fairly soon. But and, on the flip side, if for movies that are like the smaller ones, like Popstar and uh, Swiss Army Man, 
those are the ones you do need to go see in theaters because everyone sits there and complains like, oh, we're getting Transformers 29 or we're getting Ninja Turtles 52. It's because movie studios know they'll make money off sequels. So if you want to see new, different, and exciting type films that are not the standard or not the norm, you've got to go support the small stuff. That is true. And and so that that's the main reason why I will recommend Swiss Army Man because – you know, seeing something original like this, um, seeing things from up and coming filmmakers like the Daniels, um, that's important. Spielberg will make more movies no matter what happens with the box office yeah. on the BFG. Um, but, uh, yeah, definitely go go support uh, a movie like Swiss Army Man. If you want to see Harry Potter as a as a farting corpse. Oh, and by the way. Daniel Radcliffe's accent in this is awesome. First of all, the whole time he sounds kind of like you would expect a like um I don't know, someone who's who's dying or in pain to talk, like he's just basically able to ex- barely expel air through his lungs in order to form words and they're kind of slurred a lot and he's got this like it it's kind of a weird amalgam of American accents. He sounds kind of like he might be from New York, but it's mm-hmm. not really thick. And he, he just kind of talks like this the whole time. <laughs> it's very labored. Man, Hank, tell me why. Tell me about the rabbits. <laughs> that, that's, it's, it's also a little of mice and men. I guess so. Yeah. Huh. Anyway, uh, it, it, yeah. This is this is beautiful. Um, so and and amazing jobs acting here by Paul Dano and and Daniel Radcliffe and and that's the reason to go check this out and because it's it's original and, and interesting. Cool. Well, there you go. Those are the recommendations for the week. You got uh, BFG for the whole family and the kids, and then for the adults, uh, either go have some fun with Donald Trump and the Purge. Or uh, go to something a little bit different with Swiss Army Man. Yep. Cool. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, next week, we've got The Secret Life of Pets, which is the uh, Illumination is the studio with the same people who did Minions and Despicable Me. Uh, that was kind of fun. And then the Zac Efron and Adam Levine naughty comedy, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. So, uh, again, that's one definitely not for the kids. So yeah. We've got, we got the extremes next week, too. we got kids and not kids. We look forward to talking to you about that, but until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he 